They're crazy, they're zany, and just plain nuts, but they love Jesus. America's Keswick and all of you. Here are the hosts of the Bob and Bill podcast, Robert Hayes and Bill Welty. Well, good afternoon. This is episode 23 of the Bob and Bill podcast. We've, I can't believe we've done 23 episodes. It is amazing. It is amazing, and uh, it looks like this is going to continue on for a little bit longer. So we appreciate you tuning in on Wednesdays and Fridays at 2.30. So today we've got some special, yes, special is... music. It's not really music. No, it's... it's uh... I first heard this, uh, Pastor Chick Koloski in Binghamton, New York, he had a, a photographic memory and he memorized a lot of God's word, but he also had memorized this reading that you're going to hear. And uh, it's going to be done today by Robert Kenny. Robert is a graduate of the Colony of the Mercy, and I had the opportunity of uh, discipling Robert. And uh, so it's fun to see what God has done in his heart and his life. And this is a story of the prodigal son, and it's called The Prodigal Son in the Key of F. And nobody could do this but Rob Kenny. That's correct. So after Rob, Pastor Dave is going to do part two of his message on prayer that he shared for our Memorial Day weekend conference. Okay, take it away, Rob. I'd love to share something with you today. There's a passage of scripture that I take to heart, and I love it, known as, most commonly known as the prodigal son. It's in Luke 15, a well-known story. We all know it. So I'm diving deep into the passage, and I'm seeing what I can get out of it. I use commentaries and Bible studies, and I came across a great version of the prodigal son that I'd love to share with you today. It's known as the key of F. So without further ado, feeling footloose and frisky, a feather-brained fellow forced his father to fork over the farthings. Fast he flew to foreign fields and fittered his family fortune, feasting fabulously with floozies and faithless friends. Flooded with flattery, he financed a full-fledged fling of funny foam and fast food. Fleeced by his fellows in folly, facing famine and feeling faintly fuzzy, he found himself a feed-flinger in a filthy foreign farmyard. Feeling frail and fairly famished, he fain would have filled his frame with the foraged food for the fodder fragments. Fooey, he figured, my father's flunkies far, far fancier than frazzled fugil fumed feverishly facing the facts. Finally, frustrated from failure and filled with foreboding, but following his feelings, he fled from the filthy foreign farmyard. Far away, the father focused on the fretful, familiar form in the field and flew to him and fondly flung his forearms around the fatigued fugitive. Falling at the father's feet, the fugitive floundered forlornly. Father, I have flunked and fruitlessly forfeited family favor. Finally, the faithful father, forbidding and forestalling further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies to fetch forth the finest fatling and fix a feast. Faithfully, the father's firstborn was in a fertile field fixing fences while father and fugitive were feeling festive. 
The foreman felt fantastic as he flashed the fortunate news of a familiar face that had forsaken fatal foolishness. 44 feet from the farmhouse, the firstborn found a farmhand fixing a fatling, frowning and finding fault. He found father and fumed, floozies and foam from frittered family funds, and you fix a feast following the fugitive's father? <laughs> the firstborn's fury flashed, but fussing was futile. The frugal firstborn felt it was fitting to feel favored for his faithfulness and fidelity to family, father, and farm. In foolhardly fashion, he faulted the father for failing to furnish a fatling and feast for his friends. His folly was not in feeling fit for the feast and fatling for friends. Rather, his flaw was in the feeling about the fairness of the festival for the found fugitive. His fundamental fallacy was a fixation on favoritism, not forgiveness. Any focus on feeling favored will fester and friction will force the frayed facade to fall. Frankly, the father felt the frigid firstborn's frugality of forgiveness and formidable, it was frightful. But the father, former faithful fortitude and fearless forbearance to forgive both the fugitive and the firstborn flourishes. The far-sighted father figured such fidelity is fine, but what forbids fervent festivities of the fugitive that is found? Unfurl the flags and finery. Let fun and frolic freely flow. Former failure is forgotten. Folly is forsaken. Forgiveness forms the foundation of future faucets. Four facets of the father's fathomless fonding for faltering fugitives are forgiveness, forever faithful friendship, Fadeless love and a facility of forgetting flaws. <sighs> I read a story recently of a man named George who carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. He was a businessman and things were not going well in his business. Business was declining. He was struggling financially. He was dealing with terrible problems in his staff. He was working 85 hours a week, taking very little time off. He could get hardly any sleep at night. He was so worried constantly about his problems at work and he finally went to see a counselor and the counselor warned him, you gotta do something and soon or you're gonna have a nervous breakdown. You, you gotta learn how to give all of these burdens to God. And he didn't know how to do that so he, he did the only thing he could think of and that is he took the afternoon off and he went and, and, and walked in the woods of Western Pennsylvania. He took a pad of paper and a pencil with him and he just went for a walk in the woods and, and the longer he walked he said, the the more he could just feel the tension going right out of his body until he finally sat down at the base of a tree and he let out a long sigh. And then he decided to write God a letter. And it wasn't a very long letter. In fact, the entire letter said, Dear God, today I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. Love, George. He later reported with a twinkle in his eye, and wonder of wonders, God accepted my resignation. When you find yourself giving into anxiety, it's a good thing to get out and enjoy God's creation and, and, and to take note of how marvelously God provides for even the most insignificant of creatures. And then relax in the knowledge that you are far more important than they and that he will not fail to provide for you.
have faith. Jesus says, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to, to spend your life all anxious all the time. So consider what you need in light of what God has already given you. Second, look at God's care of his creation and realize your special place within it. And then thirdly, understand the fruitlessness of worry. Understand the fruitlessness of worry. <clears throat> he says in verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? What do you think worry is going to accomplish for you? Don't you see it's a lot of wasted energy? It's useless. You can't add another hour to your life worrying about things. Literally, what it says there is, who of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his life? Now, a cubit is a measure 18 inches, basically from your elbow to your fingertips. That's about 18 inches. And, and I think the real image here is think of your life as a span. Uh, you know, if, if the span of your life is a distance we traveled, say 100 miles, Jesus is saying, you can't, you can't add a single cubit to the span of your life by worrying. In fact, if anything, worry is going to produce the opposite result. It's going to be counterproductive and shorten your life. Dr. Charles Mayo, one of the founders of the famed Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, once said, worry affects the circulation the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I have never known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. Jesus says, don't worry. I, I don't want you to be anxious. Consider what you need in light of what God has already given you. Look at God's care of his creation and realize your special place within it. Thirdly, understand the fruitlessness of worry. And then fourth, Redirect that wasted energy into your relationship with God. Redirect that wasted energy, the energy you spend worrying, redirect that into your relationship, cultivating a relationship with God. You can waste a lot of energy worrying, or you can take all of that energy you waste worrying and redirect it into cultivating a closer walk with the Lord. If you want to be concerned with something, be concerned about drawing near to your heavenly father. Jesus says in verse 31, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. When he talks about the pagans, he's talking about the Gentiles. And he says, you know, the Gentiles, how they have to run after all these things they think they need, food and clothing and drink. And, you know, they're just all, all the time worried about where it's, coming from. Why? Because in their pagan religions, they can't count on their gods for anything. You ever study Greek and Roman mythology? What a soap opera. You know, you've got the likes of Zeus and Venus and Mercury, all those characters, they're all self-absorbed, all up in their own business, all, all, you know, doing dirty to each other. It's like one big, big old soap opera. And so the Gentiles of Jesus' day knew they couldn't count on their gods to take care of them, so they had to fend for themselves. So no wonder they were worried. No wonder they went running around looking for all that stuff that they needed. Worry, Jesus is showing us here, worry is essentially godless. Our worry says, we believe that our God cannot be trusted, that the God we worship is really no different from the gods of the pagans. And when 
Religion claims to be Christian, but keeps worrying about whether God really loves us, whether he'll ever really forgive us, whether we've done enough to earn his favor. When it keeps us worried that if we step out of line, he'll turn on us. Uh, We're worried about whether he'll protect us and, and provide for us. That's misguided. Jesus says, you have a heavenly father. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows what you need. You don't need to run around like the pagans do looking for all that stuff. His love isn't conditional. He doesn't want to keep you guessing. He doesn't want you to ever have to wonder whether you can count on him. You have a heavenly father who knows what you need. And the proof is that he's already done everything necessary to care for your greatest need of all. Our greatest need of all is to be delivered from the guilt and grip of our sin, isn't it? And he's already cared for that need. He sent Jesus to give his life to pay the debt of our sin that we owed. He raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, breaking sin's grip on us and setting us free. He invites us by faith to receive all this as a free gift. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God adopts us as his children, his beloved children. And if you are a child of the king, you no longer need to run around trying to obtain what you need. You only need Honor your father, the king. Work to advance his agenda for the kingdom. And the rest then is provided by him. Rest content in his provision of you as a child. Can you rest content in your Lord who's already provided for your greatest need of all? Roger Palms in Men of Integrity years ago wrote a little story about how he had baby duty in the church nursery along with his wife, and he was given one particularly fussy baby. And he said, you know, I was holding him, but he wouldn't quiet down. He was fussy. He was thrashing around. And so I'd rock him and I'd pat his back and I'd sing to him. But to no avail, no matter what I did, I finally thought if this baby would only realize that we're looking after him, If only he would stop struggling and be calm. If only. And then he says, what did I do that night? Well, I went to bed and the problem I knew I I couldn't work on until the next day was already working on me. And I fretted about it and I fussed about it and I thrashed about until I finally woke up Andrea and she went right to the heart of the matter. And she said, Roger, why pray when you can worry? And he said, she was right, of course. I began to visualize myself in the care of the father. He knows what I need. And he's telling me, relax, Roger, I've got you. In some ways, I'm still in a spiritual nursery. I've got a lot to learn. If we'll only redirect the energy we waste in worry and invest it instead in seeking God, praying instead of fretting, things will go much better for us. I love that verse in Isaiah where it says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Instead of worrying like those who don't know God and running around trying to fend for ourselves, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek, he says, seek first his kingdom. 
The word there is a word that describes the activity of a hunter. It's in a verb tense that suggests that you make an unceasing quest for this. You keep seeking for it. You hunt for it. Hunt for his kingdom. First, seek first his kingdom as a matter of first priority. Above all else, seek after his kingdom. You know, much as when Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, this is taking a step farther and saying, not just ask Jesus, ask God for his kingdom to come, but seek his kingdom. And in seeking his kingdom, what I'm doing is I'm saying, I want to come more fully under his rule. I want to learn to care about the things that matter to him. I want to work for his purposes in this world. I want the gospel to be spread. I want more people to come to know Christ. I want more people to be set free from bondage to the evil one. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus says. When I'm seeking his righteousness, it means I want to become all that God wants me to be, to live by the power of his spirit in my life, to be dead to sin, but alive to God. I want to become more like Jesus, to be characterized by his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus says, if you make it our top priority in life, seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, he'll see to it that your other needs are met. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As somebody has said, if we live only for earthly things, we lose heavenly things. But if we live for heavenly things, we get earth thrown in. Don't worry, Jesus says. I don't want you to worry. I want you to be free of anxiety. And so he prescribes, consider what you need in light of what God has already given you. Look at God's care of his creation and realize your special place within it. Understand the fruitlessness of worry. Then fourthly, redirect that wasted energy into your relationship with God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then fifthly and finally, take one day at a time. Take one day at a time. Jesus ends this chapter in verse 34 where he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Sounds a lot like Jesus' prayer, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us today bread for today. Too much of the present is consumed worrying about what will never be. Too much of today is preoccupied with worrying about tomorrow. I love what Alexander McLaren once said. He said, what does your anxiety do? It doesn't empty tomorrow of, it, of sorrows, but empties today of its strength. It does not bless tomorrow, but robs today. We shall be wise if we do not add tomorrow's weight to today's load. Today has plenty of challenges of its own. The best way to be ready for the challenges of tomorrow is not to worry about them today, but to meet today's challenge as well and put them behind us. To spend myself today worrying about tomorrow will distract me from what I need to do today, and that makes things worse tomorrow because of all the unfinished business I drag into tomorrow from today. The most solid foundation for tomorrow is in simply seeking God today. When tomorrow arrives, there will be enough challenges to keep us occupied, but there'll be also renewed strength. God doesn't give strength today. 
for tomorrow. Like manna in the wilderness, he gives grace for today as we need it, and we dare not try to borrow ahead. As Lamentations 3 puts it, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Don't let anxiety rule your heart. Don't worry like those who don't know God, your heavenly father. Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Clovis Chappelle was a brilliant preacher of the last century who once told his congregation a story on a Sunday morning about a pioneer pilot in the days of early aviation. This was a a pilot who was a daredevil and he was trying to make his mark by, by making a flight around the world. And after he had flown about two hours from his last landing field, he heard a noise in his airplane that sounded suspiciously to him like the gnawing of a rat. And this created in his heart no amount of anxiety because he figured that at his last stop, a rat must have come aboard his airplane and now it may be back there chewing on some of the control cables. And if it gnawed its way all the way through some of those control cables, he'd lose control of the airplane and it would be disaster. And he still had two hours to go until his next stop. And so he thought about this for a while and he, he was nervous and he, he, he was concerned. And then it dawned on him that Rats don't dwell in the heavens, they dwell beneath the, the earth. And so he pulled back on the yoke of his controls and his plane ascended a thousand feet, another thousand feet, another thousand feet until he got to 20,000 feet where the air is thin and cold and finally the gnawing stopped. Uh, more than two hours later, he landed at the next landing point, and he investigated in the back of the plane, and sure enough, there in the back was a dead rat that had been gnawing on his control cables. Now, Clovis Chappelle, that Sunday morning, applied that little story in this fashion for his congregation. He said, brothers and sisters in Christ, worry is a rodent. It cannot live in the secret place of the Most High. It cannot breathe in the atmosphere made vital by prayer and familiarity with the scripture. Worry dies when we ascend to the Lord through prayer and his word. May we become proficient at killing the rats of worry by ascending to our Lord instead of descending into our anxiety. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and your heavenly father will take care of the things that worry you. Father, we are so grateful for your word and for the way it challenges us right to our very hearts, our hearts that we confess are all too prone to worry. We pray that you'd help us to take to heart the words of the Lord Jesus, who puts it all so magnificently in perspective for us. 
helping us to understand our, our value before you, how much, how much you care about us and how much we can trust in you and what our priorities need to be and, and how you promise to care for us. Lord, we are, we are people who are abundantly blessed when we live in that rarefied atmosphere of the Savior's presence, ascending to the heights in prayer, in worship, in the word, instead of descending into our anxiety and worry. Lord, help us not to worry, but to trust in you and your magnificent provision made possible for us through your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, that was a great song written by our good friend John Peterson. John Peterson. That's right. Appreciate his great music. We appreciate you joining us today for the 23rd edition of the Bob and Bill podcast. We want to get a little resource into your hands. You may be in the midst of this, what seems like is never going to end COVID crisis. <clears throat> there is hope. Uh, our good friend Ray Pritchard has written a book, Anchor for the Soul Help for the Present, Hope for the Future. And if you're struggling today and you need some encouragement, well, I want to get this into your hands. It's free if you call 1-800-453-7942 between the hours of 8 and 4. 
Monday through Friday. We appreciate you being a part of this ministry. And again, we appreciate your prayers and your financial gifts. If you would please consider a gift today, call 1-800-453-7942. Or you can visit our website, www.americaskezik.org, and go on the page that says Donate Now. Until next week, (laughs) this is Bob and Bill. God bless you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let us know. Write us at bewealthy at americaskeswick.org, or it'll be in the description below. If you'd like to learn more information about America's Keswick, you can visit our website at www.americaskeswick.org. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 for the next edition of the podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Tyler. And have a good and godly day.